Our scripture, our second scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. I'll be reading from Mark 4, 35 through 41, and I'll be reading from the Common English Bible Translation. Together, let us listen for the Word of God. Later that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. They left the crowd and took him in the boat, just as he was. Other boats followed along. Gale force winds arose, and waves crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped. But Jesus was in the rear of the boat, sleeping on a pillow. They woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are drowning? He got up and gave orders to the wind and said to the lake, Silence, be still. The wind settled down and there was a great calm. Jesus asked them, Why are you frightened? Don't you have faith yet? Overcome with awe, they said to each other, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1986, when the waters of the Sea of Galilee had receded during a drought, two fishermen, who were also brothers and amateur archaeologists, stumbled across an amazing find, a fishing boat dating from the first century, down embedded in the mud. The boat is 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide, very spare and almost flat. And it is not something that I would volunteer to sail out into open waters, let alone take a nap in during a storm. It has been called the Jesus Boat. And while it is likely similar to the ones that Jesus and the disciples used to venture across the Sea of Galilee, it is probably just a boat that everyday fishermen use to make a living and support a life. Nothing fancy. Simply a skiff that enabled them to venture out from the shore and catch what they needed. While Mark's is the shortest gospel, it is still fairly early in the story. We and the disciples, many of whom are everyday fishermen themselves, are still getting to know who this Jesus is. At this point in Mark's narrative, he has called some to follow him. He has been rushed out into the wilderness, healed a few people, wrinkled his family, and raised more than a few eyebrows. And yet the disciples do not really get who he is. Or what all he is about. They will struggle throughout Mark's gospel right up to the very end. And today's text fits in with that struggle. Jesus has just finished telling some parables. And then he suggests that they cross over to the other side. Mark tells us that they take him in the boat just as he was. Just as he was. Does this mean there was no specific dress code or reservation or ticket required? Or could it mean something more along the lines of just as they understood or expected him to be? 
So they push off from the shore, just as Jesus is, and just as the disciples are, and as we heard, gale force winds arose, and waves crashed against the boat so that the boat was swamped. But Jesus was in the rear of the boat, sleeping on a pillow. They woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we are drowning? I've seen a post make the rounds over the past year or so on social media, one that talks about wanting to be more like Jesus by feeding the hungry, loving the stranger, and taking naps on boats. Sounds lovely, but I'm not Jesus. And taking a nap on a fishing skiff like that one they found a few decades ago in the midst of gale force winds is not my style. I confess that I'd probably be panicking right along with the disciples. Don't you care, Jesus? How can you sleep at a time like this? Don't you care that we are drowning? Don't you care that I'm soon going to be in over my head? Can't you see that my fear is getting the best of me? I would wager that the word unprecedented has been used a record number of times over the past 15 months. The world is emerging from a season unlike any season most of us can remember. Amid changing guidelines, the church in every corner has wrestled and is still wrestling with what is faithful, good, And right for us and for the world God so dearly loves, the same world we are called to love in Christ's name. And fear has been our stubbornly constant companion. We've been afraid of catching the virus ourselves and afraid of passing the virus on to others. At the same time, we've been afraid of being isolated, afraid of losing touch with one another, afraid of losing ourselves and our faith while keeping a safe distance from our faith communities and our sacred spaces. And now some of us are afraid of regathering too quickly, while others of us are afraid that we are not regathering quickly enough. We have feared underreacting and we have feared overreacting. And in some cases, we have turned on one another, echoing the disciples' cries to Jesus. Don't you care that we are drowning? Don't you care? At times, I don't know about you, but it has been enough to make me want to curl up and take a long, long, long nap. Or jump overboard and swim to shore. But I'm not Jesus. And we're all in the same boat, rickety and fragile as that boat may be. And I still worry that my fear may yet get the best of me, that our fears may yet get the best of us. With the blur of all that happened over the past year or so, some of the most striking images were those of the fleets of airplanes parked and stored in vast open spaces out west. Chris Dennis, a pilot for Delta, landed and parked his plane in one of those spaces, and he thought to leave a note before he left the cockpit in March of last year. Hey, pilots, the note begins. It's March 23rd, and we just arrived from Minneapolis-St. Paul. 
Very chilling to see so much of our fleet here in the desert. If you are here to pick it up, then the light must be at the end of the tunnel. Amazing how fast it changed. Have a safe flight, bringing it out of storage. His brief reflections are honest and poignant. The image of all those planes parked and idle was chilling indeed. And yet, I hear a note of faithful hope in Captain Dennis's words, even in his act of writing this note to the one who would guide this plane back into circulation. He does not point any fingers or offer any rants. He names the stark reality in front of him and lifts a prayer of sorts. By placing this note for his colleague to see, in a way, he prays that someone will eventually see it and read it, signaling that the worst is over. In this simple gesture, Captain Dennis, who was most certainly afraid, does not let fear get the best of him. In the midst of a scary moment, he instead seems to want to trust that there would be a light at the end of the tunnel. He had faith, or tried to have faith, the end would come, that travel would resume, that the storm would pass. Blessedly, the winds are shifting, and the storm is passing. Infection rates are down and vaccination numbers are up, and yet the virus remains, as does the fear and the agitation. Friends, the great good news in all of this is that Jesus remains as well. When the storm rages around that little boat, I find it telling that the disciples do not turn on one another, instead They turn on Jesus. They cry out to Jesus, not unlike the psalmists who have cried out to God for generations. I don't know about you, but sometimes I wonder if I'm afraid of crying out to God. Sometimes that feels inappropriate or out of bounds or, worst of all, unfaithful. And yet that is what our tradition teaches and invites us to do. So the disciples wake Jesus from his nap and bring their fears, their frustration, and their complaints to him. Don't you care, Jesus? He responds, a bit grumpily, I imagine. After all, he was napping. And tells the storm to be quiet and the lake to be calm. And then he turns to the disciples and wonders aloud, why are you frightened? Don't you have faith yet? Now, maybe I'm a bit protective of the disciples, but my first instinct is to push back at Jesus a bit. It takes faith to confront him, to cry out to God when the storms rage. And yet, upon further reflection, I'm not sure the disciples fully understand who Jesus is just yet. Maybe in this moment they cry out to him not as Lord and God, but as their teacher who does not seem concerned that the boat is taking on water. They thought they knew this one they brought on board just as he was. But only when Jesus demonstrates divine command of creation and power over the chaos of swirling waters do they respond with awe, with the faintest stirrings of deep faith and reverence 
Who is this? They ask one another. They are only beginning to grasp who this Jesus is. They are only beginning to understand, as are we. Don't you have faith yet? Jesus asks. No, not fully. Not entirely. Not yet, Jesus. Not yet. There is tremendous grace in that word, yet. Faith is not a fixed point or neatly packaged or easily contained commodity. Rather, faith is a journey that winds back in on itself on occasion. Faith may very well wane when the storms rage, when fear starts to get the best of me or of us. And yet I take great comfort in the fact that Jesus does not kick the disciples off the boat and that Jesus does not swim to shore in search of a better, steadier crew. He stays with them, and he stays with us, promising to be with them and with us, rickety and fragile as we may be. Jesus remains with them and with us in that tunnel until the light appears, and beside them and us, beyond the end of that tunnel and out into the light of a new day. And he stays with us when things grow dark again. Jesus remains steady and constant when fear gets the best of us. He sticks with us, inviting us to let faith grow and take hold of us, urging us to trust that this one who rests when the storms rage is with us always. Urging us and inviting us to let faith get the best of us instead. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.